0: I'd like to introduce my family. So we're, uh, I'm a pastor in Sevilla, Spain. That's in southern Spain. But we have a cool, interesting connection with you guys. So my wife, who's sitting in the back, she asked me to do this. Could you stand up so everybody sees you? I'm just kidding. She doesn't want Well, look, she's doing it. Great. So my wife, Ashley, that's not a Spanish name. Um, she grew up here in East Limestone Road, OK? So she, we're from around here. I moved here. To North Alabama, when I was 11 years old, my dad planted a Spanish speaking church here in the area. And then, when I was 22 years old, I went back to Spain with my wife, and we began planting churches in the country of Spain. So, now the church that I currently pastor has been planted for 11 years, and uh, we have four children. Uh, they're all here Sergio, Ana Belen, Santiago, Lydia's in the nursery, and then I brought, I brought with me. Uh, two of my former Sunday school students uh, f- from the church I grew up here. So they're here, Ariana and uh, Bianca. And then my younger brother's here, Jonathan, as well. So he's, he lives in Spain, but he's here on vacation as well. But it's great to be here. We're super encouraged to know that you guys are, are here on Capshaw Road. It's good also that we're partnered together through the Axe Network. We ourselves are a church that desires to plant churches in our region of the world. So it's, it's so good to be here. And Pastor asked me to talk about church planting uh, for a few minutes. So I'd like to go to Acts chapter 13 and 14. We don't have time to read through the whole two chapters, but I'm going to try to summarize these chapters as much as, much as possible to talk about uh, church planting. So, church planting is something that has been uh, romanticized quite a bit over the past couple of decades. I don't know if you would agree with that. It's become quite the trend to plant churches. And uh, rather than being something romantic, it's actually something very grueling. I would certainly discourage anyone from entering church planting unless the Holy Spirit of God is certainly guiding you to church plant. So over the course of my my time in, in Sevilla, we've had the blessing and sometimes I feel like the curse of planting three churches. Uh, and along the way, as we've planted churches, uh, we've seen some of them completely fall apart. Uh, we've seen some not only just close down but tear apart marriages. Uh, we've seen so many things happen uh, in the name of church planting. And so we want to make sure that the way church planting is done is in line of Scripture. Do it in a way to where God is glorified the people of God are edified, and the t- testimony of Christ is not damaged. So we planted our first church back in 2011 when we moved to Sevilla. The ch- this church now, Iglesia Bautista Fe, is 11 years old. We have uh, 80 members in our church, two pastors, three guys that are going through the uh, pastoral pipeline, five pastoral interns that we're hoping to send out to plant churches, Uh, and by the grace of God that church went really well but then the second church we planted in the northern part of the city after four years uh, we had to uh, merge that church with the first church and then the second church and the building we handed off to a a missionary team and then the third church we planted was in this uh, gypsy community I don't know if you guys are familiar with the gypsies uh, the, the, the Gypsies are uh, people that centuries ago came from Hungary over to all over Europe, really. Uh, and in Spain, the Gypsies uh, have the largest uh, evangelical denomination called the Philadelphia Church. Uh, they are almost, I think, half a million uh, evangelicals. Most Gypsies would consider themselves evangelicals. Uh, and we went to this area that was predominantly Gypsy, where there wasn't much church planting activity. And after four years of uh, proclaiming the gospel, trying to disciple people, we literally saw zero fruit and therefore had to uh, close that church down. But on the process of planting the church, we burnt out so many of our leaders trying to plant this church, and we're still trying to recover from that. And I'm, I'm just telling you this. Church planting has been presented as something very romanticized, something very Awesome when in reality is something very gruesome. So I want to encourage you with that today. <laughs> in all seriousness, my encouragement to you as a church that aspires to plant churches is to be very cautious in the way you plant churches. Uh, planting churches for the trendiness, uh, planting churches because of an opportunity uh, is not a good idea. And you'll see today through this text why this is not a good idea. So what does the Bible tell us about planting churches, establishing churches? And why would that matter to you? Most of you guys are not going to plant a church in your lifetime, right? Most of you are going to be members of this church. If this church ever plants a church in another area of North Alabama, or if by God's grace, God sends a team from this church to go to North Africa to plant a church. I don't know what God could do. Maybe God will inspire you to join those church planters. I don't know. But most of you, your relationship to church planting is going to be that of witnessing church planting taking place from this church and maybe being approached by church planters seeking support from you guys on an individual basis. Has has that ever happened to anyone? A church planter or missionary comes to you saying, hey, would you pray for me? And please give me some money. Anybody said that before? No one. There's no way. You guys are too shy. All the, All the time. Great. So the sermon today will be relevant to you in that regard. I want to give you convictions from the text we're going to look at today on what church planting should be like. So when you're approached by missionaries and church planters, you can ask some good questions about what they're going to do. And you can actually be a resource and a help to them in considering what they're going to do. I remember, um, I don't know, eight years ago, we had uh, four guys, four American guys, show up to a Sunday morning service in Sevilla. They were fresh out of college. It looked like they just had come from Christian camp. They were, like, super excited about the gospel, you know, those people that come back from camp. And they're like, hey, Pastor Alberto, we're here from Ohio. They're from Ohio. Uh, We're here from Ohio, and we were working. We decided to quit our jobs and come to Spain on a mission trip. And we just want to share the gospel with people, see as many people safe as we can, and then in two months head back to Ohio. And I said, dude, that's awesome. Uh, what are you going to do though? What are you going to do with those that come to faith in Christ? Dude, we, we didn't think about that. And I was like, yeah, that's something you should think about. Have you thought about coming to coming in partnership with a church here in the city? And maybe those guys that get saved, those people that get saved, giving them to the church so the church can continue the discipleship? There's a lot of people like that. They're not thinking, not because they're mischievous or they're evil, simply they haven't thought about these categories I want to share with you today. So let's, let's look at Acts chapter 13 and 14 as summarized as possible to see what are these convictions. i want to give you five, five convictions of what church planting should be like. So just to show you that this Two chapters, thirteen and fourteen, are, are one sole unit. Let's look at the beginning of the chapter in chapter thirteen, and let's look at the end of chapter fourteen, okay? Because it's it's one unit of thought that Luke is presenting to Theophilus. Okay? So thirteen one through three says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Ghost said, the Holy Ghost said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work for, to which I have called them. Okay, that, that's key right there. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off, okay. So here's the church of Antioch, who had been planted two chapters ago. I don't know how many years it was, but a few chapters ago they were planted. Now the church has a group of pastors and teachers, much much like you guys, a group of elders. And all of a sudden, okay, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God intervenes, right, and says, "Okay, church, separate me two of your pastors to be sent off." To the work whereunto I have called them, for the work to which I have called them. I just went King James on you guys. Uh, Sorry. Or not sorry. Great. Uh, So that's the work. There's a work that the Holy Spirit of God separates Barnabas and Saul to. Now come to the end of chapter 14. I'm going to show you the the beginning and end of the movie. You you guys like those movies? They show you the beginning and the end. You're like, oh, what's happening in the middle? We're going to do that today. So chapter 14, the trip is over. Paul and Barnabas go on a trip, we'll look at it in a minute, and look what happens in verse 26, and from there they sail to Antioch. So they're back in Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work, the same work of chapter 13, that they had what? Fulfilled. Okay, so beginning of 13, they're called to do a work, end of chapter 14, the work is fulfilled. What is this work that they have fulfilled that the Holy Spirit of God has separated them to do? I believe the work is the work of church planting. And the work of church planting in, in Acts 13 and 14 happens in four different cities. So Luke narr- narrates this, this, this work in four different cities, okay? And the way that Luke presents this church planting work is by repeating the essential things that Paul and Barnabas did in each of these cities. And I believe these things that are repeated in each city are those things that we must commit ourselves unto when it comes to church planting. So I'll give you briefly, before we get into the, into the, the particular cities, what these things that are going to be repeated. So when we're reading the text, you can see this thing. So the first thing we're going to see that is an essential part of church planting, is the mighty work of the Holy Spirit of God throughout each part of these passages. The Spirit of God working. We're going to see the Spirit of God calling, guiding, empowering, giving boldness, filling. The work of church planting is essentially the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And we must embrace that with all of our heart. The second thing that we see here in this work that the Spirit separates Paul and Barnabas onto is courageous and powerful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's this boldness. There's this power in the proclamation of the gospel in each of these cities. And we're going to see that. And that's thanks to the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God. Also, we'll see in each uh, city two responses there's no neutrals here it's either you joyfully receive the goodness of the gospel or you violently violently reject the good the good news of the gospel we're going to see that in every city and finally in every city we're going to see this thing the planting and establishing of churches and appointing of elders So this church in Antioch sends these two men, these two pastors, to plant churches, which means assembling people and appointing elders over those churches. So let's look at the first one, which is in the city of Salamis in Cyprus in chapter 13, 4 through 12. So just briefly, I'll summarize it for you. So the Holy Spirit of God directs them to the city called Salamis, which is a port city of Cyprus in the middle of the Mediterranean. And what's the the first thing they do? If you look at uh, chapter 4, chapter 13, in verse number 4, we see that immediately they were with a proconsul called Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul to, to hear the word of God which is a synonym of the gospel. And as soon as the gospel is proclaimed to Sergius Paulus, this false prophet opposes the preaching of the gospel. And immediately Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, makes him blind in a miraculous act. Sometimes you wish you had that power, right, at work? You oppose the gospel, I'll make you blind. And then everybody believes. That'd be amazing. But anyway, as soon as Sergius sees this miraculous act of Paul... It says that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was so marveled at the power of the message of the gospel and this miraculous act that the apostles did to kind of give evidence of the power of the Spirit of God. But from the gate go in verse 4 through 12, we see how we have people who oppose the preaching of the gospel, and we have people who are, like it says in verse 12, astonished at the teaching of the gospel. So then we go to the second city, Antioch of Pisidia, a different Antioch. Same pattern. In verse 13, we see that they start navigating. They come to Antioch of Pisidia and on the Sabbath day, verse 14, they went into the synagogue and sat down and after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement to the people, say it. So Paul is a good Gospel minister gets up and from verse 16 through verse 41 Paul preaches an amazing sermon on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the bulk of this of this uh, two chapters is the sermon of Paul preaching the gospel to the people at Antioch of Pisidia. I wish we had time to read the whole thing. It's an amazing presentation. Of the gospel. I believe the climax of this sermon comes in verse 36 through 39 when Paul connects King David with King Jesus. It says in verse 36 For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Paul preaches the gospel like all of us should preach the gospel, putting at the nucleus of the gospel... The person, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of King Jesus. He is the point of this journey. He is the point of being sent out to plant churches. He is the king worthy of the worship of the people in Salamis, in Antioch of Pisidia, in Alconium, in Lystra, in Derby, and in all of the universe. He died so that you could be forgiven. He died. So you could be set free from the condemnation of the law. Believe on him today. Citizens of Iconian. Citizens of Antioch. Citizens of Madison, Harvest, Athens, and Huntsville. You need to believe in the true king. The king, Jesus. It's a beautiful presentation of the gospel. I'll encourage you this week to just read through it and gospelize yourself. But look at the response, the same response that we saw in the city of Salamis. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There's the work of the Holy Spirit of God, right? God giving life to those who were appointed to eternal life and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the region. But, and here's the other response the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook up their dust from their feet and against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful story. It's easy on 4th of July weekend to praise the Lord for freedom, right? And to rejoice. But you know the Holy Spirit of God is doing something when in the middle of persecution we can celebrate the freedom we have in Christ. It's, 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 it's only the Holy Spirit of God that can create this. The third city we get to is Iconium. Same story. Paul and Barnabas go to the synagogue, preach the gospel, probably a very similar message to what he preached in Antioch of, Iconium, uh, of Pisidia. Once again, Jews and Gentiles believe, but there's also another group of Jews that go up against Paul and Barnabas. Despite that, in 14.3, we see that they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The same story repeats itself. Bold proclamation of the gospel, despite persecution. Persecution. The whole city was divided between those who believed and those who opposed the gospel. So after some threats, Paul moved on to the next city, the city of Lystra. And the city of Lystra is much, very similar to the story in Salamis. An incredible work is done. There's a crippled man who is, who is given, who is healed. As soon as this miracle happens, something very weird happens. All of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas were worshipped like demigods, like Thor and Loki, for Marvel fans out there. Uh, they began worshipping that they were gods. They, they, started, they wanted to, to, to put him on a pedestal, and, Par, and Barnabas tried with all their might to stop them, say, no, 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 we're just simple men. They, they tear their garments, they start crying out to worship the only and true God, and to their surprise, there were between them some people from Antioch of Pisidia, from Iconium, who persuaded everyone to take Paul, throw him outside of the city, stone him, leave him as dead. And guess what happens? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit of God, when everyone thought Paul was dead, he suddenly gets up, goes straight back into the city, and continues preaching the gospel. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God in planting churches. I'm telling you, it's gruesome, but if the Holy Spirit of God is, is, is leading, it's a beautiful Gruesome, weird thing. <laughs> it, there's joy, there's persecution, there, 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 there's conflict, and yet there's joy. And look how they end. This is instrumental. In verse 21, after they've gone back in there, preached the gospel, they go back to every city where Christian had been assembled because the work was not done yet. Look what, what happens. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, the cities where they had just preached the gospel, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, and they were witnesses of it, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom... They had believed. The work in those cities was not finished until what? Until churches were established and elders were appointed in every church. Now that they had done that, they could go back to Antioch saying, we have fulfilled the work the Holy Spirit of God has called us unto. So what are, what are these five Convictions that I believe, I don't know if Luke is presenting these convictions explicitly, but we see them here. And then we, when we go to the epistles of Paul, we see him making these points, having these convictions about the work of church planting. Okay? First of all, first conviction we have to have on church planting healthy church planting happens through the guidance and filling of the Holy Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God is not behind it, don't do it. The Spirit of God has to make it very clear that the church is to separate some of their pastors to plant churches, to proclaim the gospel and plant churches. Because it is the Spirit of God who is going to fill those pastors to proclaim the gospel in the middle of opposition. It is the Spirit of God who is going to bring life to those people who are hearing the gospel. It is the Spirit of God who will guide this church planters into the areas where they need to preach the gospel. Let's not send people to plant churches the Spirit of God has not sent to plant churches. We look at what Paul tells the Thessalonians in, in Thessalonians 1, 4, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.4, since our Scottish brothers are here. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came not to you only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And I could present so many other texts where we see that Paul had a conviction that the Spirit of God is who does ultimately the work of saving people and planting churches. So this is not something we can recreate on our own. This is not something that we can just plan and strategize. We have to make plans, don't misunderstand me, but always remember... That at the end of the day, this is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. We can force it for a short time. But if the Holy Spirit of God is not in it, we will eventually run out of strength. Church planting is hard work. And the long-term resilience needed is something we cannot produce ourselves. Only the Spirit of God can produce the results we see here in Acts 13 and 14. So the Holy Spirit of God is the one who leads church planting. That must be a conviction deeply rooted in our hearts. Secondly, healthy church planting happens to the training of qualified pastors. Church planting and multiplication cannot happen without trained and qualified pastors and uh, pastors planters. They're, they're the same thing. Deacons cannot plant churches. Christian laymen and women cannot plant Churches. Only qualified pastors sent out, separated by the Holy Spirit of God, commissioned by their churches, can plant churches. Again, we can't send anyone out there. This is too difficult of a task. This is why training and developing pastors from the, within the congregation is vital to see planting and multiplication throughout the world. We, we, when we began church planting, our, our church planting model was very much opportunity-based church planting. If there was an opportunity, it didn't matter if our leadership was healthy at that time. If there was enough of us, there was an opportunity, we would just go. We failed miserably. With time and many heartaches and difficulties and seasoned counsel from from godly brothers, we decided to go for church planter-based church planting. We train church planters as church planters are trained. And as those brothers demonstrate that they're qualified, they're sent out. And it's incredible when there's healthy leaders planting that church plant. It makes a world of a difference. And that's what Paul does in the epistles. Paul, when he writes Timothy and Titus, he says, I've left you in Ephesus, I've left you in Crete for the purpose of what? Appointing elders, setting the church in order. Second 2 Timothy 2.2, 2. you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The guarding of the good deposit, the continuing on of the gospel, the planting of churches will happen largely by the training of pastors and planters. So our church, for example, we started a a, a pastoral internship program last September. We've got five guys that we're currently training uh, that are aspiring church planters. Being in this internship program does not guarantee that you're going to be a church planter, but it's a good way for us to train and figure out if these guys really have the giftings to be church planters. Because without healthy church planters, there's no healthy church planting. Third, healthy church planting happens through local churches, commissioning and sending out pastors to plant churches. You see it in 13.1. The church in Antioch, healthy leadership, large leadership. The Holy Spirit of God says, separate me, some of you guys, to be sent out. That is because just like we can only get oranges from orange trees, we can only get churches from churches. There's no other institution that can plant churches other than churches. Churches birth churches. So if local churches like ours here in Capshaw or in Sevilla, don't have a deep-rooted conviction to plant churches, who is going to plant churches? We don't want the government planting churches, do we? I mean, I'm, I'm from Spain, Roman Catholicism, the church did a terrible job planting churches in Spain through the government, it's terrible, I don't recommend it. Churches plant churches. Fourthly, healthy church planting happens when the gospel is proclaimed in unreached and oppressive regions of the world this is the key motivator it's the conviction that as the good news of Jesus Christ are proclaimed to the nations it's this deep rooted conviction as the gospel is proclaimed to the nations God will save people of all nations, tribes and tongues to join his eternal kingdom there's nothing else that can bring salvation to the world only the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can do a million things right in church planting. And there's things that can help us evangelize cities. We, we have a, a social program. We help the vulnerable of our city. We help illegal immigrants in our city. There's a million things we do in Sevilla to try to bring people to hear the goodness of Jesus Christ. We can do all those things right. But if we don't get the gospel right, we're doing everything wrong. This is vital. And in Acts 13 and 14, the central core of the proclamation was the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to persuade men and women to believe in the gospel as it is the only means to bring light into darkness. To convert unbelievers to believers. To bring to life those that were dead in their trespasses and sins As they hear of the redemptive work of Christ. In Paul, in in Romans 1, Paul says that he was eager. He was was so eager to preach the gospel of Christ to the pagan Gentiles who had been given over to their own desires. uh, 116 to 32, remember that? He was eager because he knew that the only way these people who were under the wrath of God could be converted was through the proclamation of the gospel. And in chapter 15, he says, hey, I want to go to Spain. I want to go to Spain because the gospel has not been preached there. And there's a bunch of people who are under the wrath of God that if they don't hear the gospel, they will not be saved. So this conviction that the gospel is the only means to bring people to faith is the force behind church planting. That's, that, this conviction that the Holy Spirit of God has given us is what will boldly help us proclaim the gospel in a more and more oppressive and dark society. The conviction that the light of the gospel will expose darkness. And finally, healthy church planting happens when disciples are made, pastors are appointed, and churches are established. We know that we are helping currently around nine churches in Spain and Portugal being established. And one of the things we tell these guys is you know a church is established when that church appoints a group of men to lead the church. That's, that's, that's the objective, right? That this church can be led by healthy leaders that fully embrace the gospel so they can continue on with the work of the church. So as the gospel is proclaimed, people will come to faith in Christ. They start assembling and there's this group of Elders, qualified pastors that are trained and appointed by other qualified pastors that have been trained and appointed by another set of pastors. And that is the cycle that we see throughout the scripture. And it's the cycle that we see. We are here today, 2,000 years after this was written, because churches planted churches, because pastors trained pastors to plant more churches. So the work of the Holy Spirit of God would not be fulfilled until churches were organized with appointed elders. So this convictions, and I'm sure there's more that we could talk about, but this five convictions have to be part of our DNA as we go out and plant churches. To summarize, if I could summarize in one sentence, Acts 13 and 14, I would say that through the Holy Spirit separating qualified pastors and teachers churches commission and send out pastors to powerfully proclaim the gospel in unreached and oppressive places so that disciples are made, pastors are appointed, and churches are established. That's as short as I could get it. Give you some homework. If you can get it shorter, send it to me. Once again, through the Holy Spirit separating qualified pastors and teachers, churches commission and send out pastors to powerfully proclaim the gospel in unreached and oppressive places so that disciples are made, pastors are appointed, and churches are established. So as biblical churches, let's firmly believe in the gospel and that church planting is the primary vehicle to get the gospel into these unreached areas. May we continue planting churches that glorify God, holding firm to these convictions, to the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the lineage of churches, centuries of churches who have firmly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ in very difficult and oppressive times when freedom of religion did not exist, when liberty was not something that people celebrated. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God, giving them the boldness and courage to proclaim the gospel, even in the darkest times, for that resilience that only your spirit can give men and women in the middle of oppression and of tribulations. Thank you, Father, for that commitment to the gospel. And may we today, in a society that is becoming more and more uh, anti-Christian, anti-gospel, Lord, may we, may, we, may we not lose our faith in the gospel. Our gospel message has the power that no other message in this land has. Our gospel has the power to save people. No other message has that. May we wholly embrace this gospel message. Not just to proclaim it to the world, but to proclaim it to ourselves every day. Lord, this will save us. And Lord, may we, as we think about church planting, may, may we be cautious and wise in how we church plant. May it be a work of the Holy Spirit of God, not something we're pushing, we're forcing, but may your spirit truly separate and call men to the work of planting churches. May you give wisdom and guidance to the leaders of Capture Baptist as they think into the future in regards to church planting. And Lord, I am so grateful for this church here, grateful for Uh, a gospel preaching church in this area where my wife and I grew up. May you bless them and continue giving them uh, strength and wisdom to continue uh, proclaiming the gospel in this area of North Alabama. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.